we're all bioneurochemical. And when I was disembodied on the other side, there was no beginning, middle, or end with how good I felt. There was no time. It's like taking air and trying to chop air up. You couldn't even if you tried. It was it'd be so ridiculous. And so the way I could describe it was euphoric, unconditional love and dwelling in that place where there was no end to this endless euphoric sensation that I was having. There was no cap on it. My guest today is Jacob Cooper, who had a near-death experience at the tender age of three. And he's here to talk about that experience today. Jacob, welcome. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Rod. Thank you for having me on your channel. A, a big honor. And I've been a follower of your work. And I, I thank you for the good work that you're doing today. Oh, I appreciate that. I imagine that your NDE is one of your first childhood memories. So how yeah. about we just start there? Yeah, this is actually my 30th anniversary this month of September of my near-death experience. It happened in September of 1993. At the time, I obviously didn't know it. I was just an infant, but I was diagnosed with whooping cough, otherwise known as pertussis, and I suffocated as a result of whooping cough. There wasn't a capacity to breathe. I went to a playground just as an innocent child, climbed a ladder onto a slide, completely suffocated due to whooping cough. I wasn't able to hold on to everything, my brain, my body, everything shut down. And once I surrendered, I was able to really go on a journey to the other side where I completely crossed over, my soul completely crossed over. And it was that experience where I encountered my own guardian angels and spirit guides. I was aware of God, all that there ever is, ever was, will be. I became aware of my own soul family members. I was aware of past lives. I was aware of angels that were surrounding my body, which was on the ground and people were calling to me. So this was a profound, fascinating experience, but most importantly was the decision factor. I know plenty of near-death experiencers will speak on how they were told, hey, it's not your time. You have more work to do, yeah, stuff like that. But for myself, there was all autonomy as to what I would be doing. And I just asked if I were to stay on the other side, what would my life look like? Why should I stay? And I was given imagery of premonitions of what I would be doing in this life. And I saw myself helping a lot of different people. And it was from that reason of helping others is why I decided to really stay on that point from the decision of agreeing to helping people. After that, everything dissipated and I was I woke up on a hospital bed, but without the complexity of this near-death experience at such a young age with memories that last with me I know to this day and with, within my whole lifetime. So it's, it's fascinating. I'm sure there's a lot to unpack, unfold within my NDE, but I'm forever grateful for it. I'll never forget my crossing over experience. And more importantly, that you could take and bury the body, but you can never bury the soul. The soul goes on beyond the body and I and thousands of others throughout the world are living testaments of that reality. I'll just take you back so we can flesh out the details of your NDE. So you're at the playground, and I guess you began to notice that your breathing was labored. I know you're recalling things that were when you were three years old, so it's probably some of the details may not be there, but at what point did you realize that your existing reality was changing or had disappeared and a new reality had appeared? Yeah. I want to preface that the details are just as clear as any other 
near-death experience, and that will blow the viewer's mind. But why I think that is, is the component of trauma that happened within my near-death experience. And when you're having something traumatic, you either have disassociative components to it where you push it away to protect yourself from that trauma, or there's clarity beyond any experience that you can compare it to your lifetime. So this isn't an ordinary memory. And I was not an ordinary three-year-old when I had this. I was, none of us are. We are experiencing ourselves in chronological age throughout this lifetime. But beyond that, we're all infinite souls that are timeless and ageless. And so this was a full experience of my soul beyond the developmental trajectory of myself as a young three-year-old. But the details were fully there, and I do credit trauma. But yes, suffocation was what led to it. What allowed me to cross over was the capacity to let go of my suffering. You see, why I mentioned trauma is I was suffocating, and that was the scariest moment of my life to this day. But once I was able to let go of this period of suffocating that felt like an eternity and just surrender to a breath beyond this body, which in my language, I grew up Jewish, the breath for spirit is called ruach, which translates as the wind or the breath of God. And I let go of the suffocation and lack of breath in my own body and surrendered to the eternal breath of source that we all are connected to. It was through surrender that really was the saving grace of my life and my experience. So when you can't breathe, there's panic, right? There's, well, there's, oh, I can't breathe, I can't draw a breath. That's the one thing you need. Incredible panic, yeah. Yeah. So at, was there some thought process where you go, this is not working? Were you able to think rationally or was it just the letting go just sort of overcome you? The letting go, there, I, I tried as much as I could to be in denial of it or tried to breathe, but there was nothing. Have you ever imagine like drowning and trying to like grasp onto something to hold onto, but yeah, you're drowning and you just have to like, just surrender to the process. And that's just what I did. I surrendered it and I just felt myself shifting and elevating beyond my body. Try to go into a car and rev your engine. The car's not working. What the heck is the point of staying in the car? You're not going to stay in the driver's seat. You're going to go into the hood, check the engine, see what's going on. And for myself, that's what happened is I just let go of something that wasn't working. There's no point in being there. It's not operating. But really, fully, it was my brain that I felt that snapped in half due to the deprivation of oxygen. And once really my brain, feeling my brain snapped in half, was when I fully, really let go and surrendered to the other side. And so there's a saying that my brain cracked open and that's when God came in. And for myself, that literally happened to me where I felt an incredibly large, loud crack within my own brain. And that's when God in the spirit realm came in full force and full throttle. So I, I know hopefully we could talk a little bit about the brain and mind dichotomy because I could you know, talk uh, ad nauseum about that too. And what did you witness? So once you'd let go of the panic associated with not being able to breathe, and what did you witness after that period of time? I felt myself going into a familiar tunnel, which when we cross over, we all go into a tunnel and we go into a journey within, a journey to the other side. But I really felt my soul ascending. Once I entered this light at the tunnel, I felt my soul elevating and ascending to this sensation of euphoria. Where in our world, we're used to like a limitation with how good we can feel. Like we're all bio neurochemical. And when I was disembodied on the other side, 
there was no beginning, middle, or end with how good I felt. There was no time. It's like taking air and trying to chop air up. You couldn't even if you tried. It was would be so ridiculous. And so the way I could describe it was euphoric, unconditional love and dwelling in that place where there was no end to this endless euphoric sensation that I was having. There was no cap on it. And this endless cap of love, this endless source of euphoric love was my understanding of God. God is in euphoric, unconditional love where there is no beginning, there's no middle, there's no end. And all of life itself flows through that source, that we are all divine sparks of this euphoric, endless love. And that's the source of all of creation itself. And you, you could imagine when I was looking at and feeling this euphoric love, there was no like end to it. It was just eternal and that's not something that we're used to. In our minds, we're used to operating on a linear level. There's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and that's it. And there's the month and there's structure. And the other side, there's no box. There's no structure. It's a totally different dichotomy than this reality. It's just so different in, in every possible way. And how did you experience So, So you're a three-year-old and, and a a three-year-old's experience of oneself is fairly limited, fairly small, right? Mm -hmm. How did your experience yeah. of yourself and you, who you were alter as you as you went down that tunnel once you got to the other side? No, it's just experiencing myself and I wasn't limited by the body. I wasn't limited with how people perceived or saw me. I wasn't limited by a particular age. I was my soul. And for all of us, we sometimes associate this current lifetime with our soul, and it's really just an experience of our soul, but not the full totality of who we are. It's like picking up a book and identifying one page of that book as the entire book itself, and it's an aspect of it, but it's not the entirety. And so we identify this lifetime with all that there is, and I could tell you firsthand that there's not. There's other chapters, and that it's eternal book. Uh, that we have. And so I think it's important for viewers is to say that, yes, this lifetime is what we have. It's all there is in front of us. But in the big picture, it's not that they're all there ever is, ever never was. It's just a small stop of the soul. And it's a one-way journey back home. For near-death experiencers, it's a little different. We have a little stopover on that one-way journey back home, and then we continue life, and then we come back when it's our time again. And at what point did you realize, I know I'm talking about things in a linear fashion here because that's the only way that we can. Yeah. At what point did you realize that who you thought you were was actually just a little portion of the totality of you? I think the whole thing just was, I think two things could be true at the same time. And my near-death experience had that, where on one hand, I still had attachment to my life as a three-year-old, my parents, and there was an adjustment phase. It wasn't just I went over there and poof. I wasn't, how do I put it? I wasn't congruent with my surroundings. It took me some time to adapt to how vast, expansive, euphoric all this was. That took some time, but it was still my soul's experience. But I, I think it was really seeing a lot of past lives that I lived that just reminded me that, wow, I'm not just this one lifetime. I have infinite amount of journeys. And so this isn't all that there is. And so seeing couple different past lifetimes that I lived that just reminded me that this is just one stop in this infinite journey. And I'm not that three-year-old kid. I'm beyond that. And I just felt very old. My soul just felt just very old. Like 
it was just ironic and funny how people looked at me as this like little kid looking at my in my NDE. I just felt it was a weird feeling. It was weird because sometimes there's I say the young people are very old and the old people are very young in this world because the young people remember who they are and they're still connected and the old people forget who they really are. So from a spiritual perspective, those who connect to me are young in a way, are are old in a way, and those who forget are just younger spiritually. And so it just was weird to just think that I was playing this role as a three-year-old and that's how the world saw me. But the truth was that was such a small picture of who I was. It was just a short experience on the journey of my soul. And what did the environment look like once you went through the tunnel? And did you meet any other entities, spirits, angels, etc. while you were there? Yeah. The first real angels that I experienced were my guardian angels or spirit guides. Depending on what culture you're in, there's different uh, ways of expressing it. But I experienced my spirit guides who were with me on the other side and they helped my body. I felt them pushing my body down to the ground. But when I saw my spirit guides, they were a male and female guide. The one component of my ND, you asked me if I remember everything. The only component that I struggle to remember is the exact names of my spirit guides. I have had like strong inklings after this of their exact names, but it's not like conviction. I just call them the guides. But in the moment, to be frank, I knew it was a male and female guide and I knew their exact names. And it's like that one thing that I want to get back in my NDE was just to remember their exact names. And yeah, at times I, it comes to me, but I can't say it's as ever as strong when I connect to them as it was in my NDE, but they were to the right side and left side of me. And they were right there to my sides as if I'm looking right at you. They were right there with me, but they were the most beautiful, immaculate beings you could possibly imagine. They had human characteristics but they were the closest extension of my soul that you could have. And I knew they were with me before I was born, and they were going to be with me after I die. They're my, my guardian angels. And it was a reunion with them. And it was also a sense of, oh, my God, how the heck could I forget that they were with me this entire time? So there was some even amnesia as a three-year-old where I had a little bit of forgetfulness of my guides, and then I saw them right with me. It was just so beautiful, the reunion that I had with them and recognizing that they never left me. They were there with me each step of my journey, my short chronological journey. But I always say it's never the amount of years of your life, but rather the life within your years. And you could live a short chronological life, but that life could feel like millions of years with the experiences you have and the love that you create and experience. So the other side looks at chronological age and time so differently than we do. But also to your question, I also, when my body was on the ground and people surrounded me and were calling my name, I was able to see them and hear them, but they weren't really able to see me. So I felt myself, my body was on the ground, but I felt my form next to my body. And so I was also able to see their guides that they had, the people that were with me in the playground that day. I saw their auric fields. And then all of a sudden I look up and there were I couldn't tell you like how many. There was just an infinite amount of angels that were floating right in front of me, and they were just overlaying the playground. And these angels were different than the spirit guides. They were very young and youthful, but they were like a golden bronze color, and I could hear their sound and their songs emanating from them. 
different than the spirit guides. Those spirit guides are very focused. They were micro-focused. The angels, they were very uniform. They weren't distinct in their presentation that I saw. They were just almost identical in what they were connected to, which is unconditional love and just sending healing love. And they were just almost like God's minions, if you will. They were just there to just send healing. And so I was looking at them, but they weren't really looking at me. They were just looking in the distance. and There was no individual characteristics other than just to give and send unconditional love. And to be honest with you, Rod, I almost just had to pinch myself because they're just right in front of me. This thin veil separating this reality and the other side is so gossamer thin. I can't describe how thin the separation is, but angels are among us and around us at all times. And we just sometimes don't see them, but they are here right now around all of us overlaying this reality. Interesting. So I guess when you're three, there's not much of a life to review, right? Which is a fairly common component of near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you spent more time on your past lives, your past experiences. And, and how did that come about? Was that something that you wanted to see or was it something that you were shown? Was there some purpose? Well, to be clear, I was still able to really feel the depth and vastness of my life. Like I said before, you know, it's, yeah, there's really, there's still a great deal of depth of life that I even had, even as a young three-year-old. But the past lives just came to me. I just remembered one particular lifetime that really was in parallel with my near-death experience. And that was a life in which I crossed over due, due to a death by suicide. I, I remembered in that lifetime, my back was against the wall. There was no hope. I just didn't see anything possibly working out. And I just felt that same suffocating feeling that I had in my NDE. And I made that decision. And I just remember looking back at it, how clearly um, my NDE is related to that last lifetime and how those similar sensations that I was feeling of suffocation, deprivation of life, lack of hope. I was experiencing that again in my NDE, and then it was different. I was able to have a different move on the chessboard where I was able to let go. And from looking at the depths of darkness of the abyss of the human experience, I was able to transcend that by simply surrendering to the light within myself that was always within me. And that has informed the work that I do as a psychotherapist and author and public speaker is just to remind people the value of surrendering and letting go to the light of eternity when darkness comes to you and how pivotal it is to really surrender to all that's around you, inside of you. And that could help to transcend moments where you feel suffocated by life. And I am a living proof of that. But I just remember just getting very emotional about seeing students that I taught in that lifetime and reconnecting with them. But I saw myself also spanning the globe and having all kinds of different past life memories that I had. But this lifetime was the one that most stuck with me. Now, people could say, oh, this is just a trauma response. You're making this up, stuff like that. But before I ever became public in my near-death experience, I went to an intuitive in my later teens. And the intuitive picked up exactly what I saw verbatim in my past life in which I took my own life. And she was able to really deliver a lot of evidential readings. And she didn't know a thing about me. I was a complete stranger. There was no public profile. I didn't have a single interview at the time, nothing. And so it was just validation that I needed that this was real. And since that point, as a kid, I kept on getting a lot of nightmares from that past life. But my life was really about healing that and really 
remembering that I moved on and I'm okay. And from completion, we begin. And I'm really completing a lot of that karma from that lifetime and this lifetime. So was there a, a process or was there some sort of interaction that occurred for some people? There's a point of going forward and there's a point of going back. How did that work out? There's a point of going forward or I'm just, I'm trying. I'll yeah. ask that again. So yeah. in other guests that I've interviewed during their NDE, there's, there's a point that they reach where they have a choice. They can either stay where they are or they can go back to. Oh, I see. Yes. Reality. Yes. Yeah. Talk, yes. Talk about that for us. Oh, that's a great question, Rod. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. I decided to really ask that question because it was given to me and I was not sure as to what to do. It was the most difficult question that I was faced in my life to this day. Spirit posed a question, what will you do, Jacob? And I'm just saying my name. Will you stay with us on the other side or will you continue? And I, I just, I didn't know what to do. It was so beautiful being there in the light realm on the other side. And I, I had no clue. And I just said, if I stayed, what will this life be like? What will I look like? What would this story look like if I continued writing it? I just didn't know what I would look like. What would I do in this life? It just felt like an unwritten story, an unfinished business. And it just felt incomplete to a degree, this journey. And they showed myself speaking in front of tons of people and just giving over this exact message and seeing the transformation of people right in front of me. And I just remembered thinking, wow, the other side will always be there. But this unique window to give over this information to other people is really about what we're all here to do, which is to deliver a piece of heaven here on earth, as we are all literal fragments of heaven here on earth. And we're here to personify that, to remember that. And so that's what I think near-death experiencers are here for, to remind people of the heaven on earth experience, but also, A, we don't die, but also heaven could be experienced right here through just connecting to it, remembering it, and not waiting to lose our breath to gain it back, that we really could exhale and live in that heaven awareness in this body in this lifetime. It sounds like you were given a picture of what's available, like your potential. Premonition, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. and from there, you then made more of an informed decision, which was, I like what you said about how heaven will always be here. <laughs> right. This experience, that that's the one that you get and that's that particular one. That's really good. So you decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and I, I made that decision, but you know, right after, I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? And to turn down heaven is a big deal. It just, it looks very good when you're over there. It looks a lot easier. And then all of a sudden you come back to this reality and it's a lot different of a viewpoint when you're here. And I just really wasn't certain about my decision. I had regrets and I just felt my guides with me and just saying, the message of trust, that there's a divine plan in each and every one of us. The divine intelligence that created us has a plan and the value of trusting that. And we all have a blueprint in this life and just trusting that and to really let go of your doubts and to trust your thoughts of how when your thoughts are in alignment with spirit, you could go through grace and ease and really trust this plan. Or when you doubt it, you doubt your power, you could live a much, much smaller version of yourself because you listen to your doubts versus the faith inside of you that forever is connected to you, a God that believes in your path and all the angels that help to curate this life that you're living. And who did you talk to about your experience after you woke up in the hospital? Did you try to talk to people straight away? And what was the general reaction like? No, I'm amazed that 
anyone after their near-death experience has the capacity to talk about it. I'm not downing it, shunning it. I just, as a therapist to this day, I think it go one of two ways, but at least from my perspective, it was so beyond the confines of human language. Combine that, the fact that I was just three years old and I had a limited English vocabulary, uh, words are just not do justice. But I'm learning to put the pieces of the puzzle more so together now more than ever. And you know, I come from a, like a religious background. So my parents are more into religion than they are this kind of like spirituality. But my father is also a therapist, came to me you know, within the last year or two ago. And he said, when you had this experience, a couple of years after it, you told me, and I'm just using my language right now, just it's hard to quote directly, but I'm paraphrasing my own self. I said, Hey, Dad, something happened in that day. One day will make sense to you, but right now it won't. I don't have the words to really describe it, but something profound happened on that day. And one day it will all make sense to you. And so that really gave me a lot of validation. And my dad has never wanted to stretch anything. It's like what you see is what you get. And hearing that gave me a lot of strength and validation, but also just put me back in that position where I had to keep this close to my heart. The world around me was not ready for it. I remembered after my near-death experience, I was back in preschool, and my whole life changed from that day forward. Once I got back to school and I was discharged from inpatient, the hospital, due to pertussis, I remember just sitting in my classroom and feeling this thin sliver of light going into my brain, and I knew from the trauma of my brain that my brain was cracked wide open, and I could connect to the spirit realm on a regular basis. And so I would just go to the bathroom just to really connect to the other side and cross over. And at hand, I could go there whenever I really wanted to, to the higher realms. And also I remember being able to see things so clearly from the spirit realm, from having this near-death experience. And I just remember one example that I don't remember too much from my childhood other than spiritual experiences, because those seem to stick. They're beyond this reality and the confines of the brain because they're not created from the brain, they're experienced from a much higher dimension. But I looked at a classmate and I say, wow, do you see this totem flying around the room and I was connecting to loved ones? And the class, the classmate looked at me like I was like smoking some type of crack pipe or something. Like He was like, what is you know, wrong with you? I don't see what you're going through. And again, it just reminded me, it was a very isolating feeling where I just felt so alienated, so alone. And so I kept it close to my heart. I kept it very close to my chest. But I saw things, knew things, heard things throughout my childhood, looking back on it, that just did not make sense. And this intuition that I had was more of a nuisance. I was just like, I just want to live my normal life, but I would just see things come to pass before they happened, they would happen. I just, I just wanted to bury it away and just fit in and be normal. But it wasn't until a lot of different experiences that happened in my teenage years that really allowed me to take ownership. But one of the things that really changed my life was getting a book gifted by an author named Betty Aidy, who wrote a book called Embraced by the Light, which is about her near-death experience. And when I was gifted that book, it just blew my brain because here I was thinking I was the only one on the planet that had this, this thing. Then again, there was like a term for it and there was other people who had this. And it was on one hand very cathartic, on the other hand frustrating because I thought I was so special and so unique and all these other people are having these things. So it was like a little deflating in a way, but also uplifting at the same time too.
that got me on my quest to really process this with other people and to feel more comfortable and confident to do so. Right. And did you ever reach a stage where you're like, okay, I'm just, I just want to be a normal person. I don't want to remember this. And can we just turn the switch off for a while? Did you ever feel that way? I tried, but you ever go to a pool and just try to put a beach ball down on the bottom of the pool? It just eventually pops up. So no matter what I tried and do, my intuition was always popping up. And to this day, like I saw things back as a kid that are coming true in, in crazy ways and not always good things, some difficult things. I remembered just being teased by this one kid and then eventually right when that happened and then I saw that this kid is going to die cross over in a couple of years and I saw his whole death and I was driving my car early in the morning and that morning on the road that I was driving to the whole road was closed and I was like what the heck is going on it was just like a random road on my commute to work then a couple of hours later I found out that was a kid who passed away driving through the ramp and I was right there a couple hours after on this random road right after he passed. So it's just like things like that. Just I was right there that morning driving in the car and I saw him a decade before that just crossing over. So stuff like that would happen. It just would freak me out because I didn't have a term for it. It's not like I said, oh, this is psychic. This is intuition. I said, this is annoying and leave me alone. Just I want to play basketball and sports and be a kid. But once I was able to really identify it as this kind of thing and take away the stigma and understand that other people had this, was really liberating to myself. But in one sense, it was just annoying. But once I embraced it as a gift and not a curse, was then it was perceived and embodied as such. And do you connect with guides or the angels that you saw when you first crossed over as a part of your everyday life now as well? They're there, not as full-blown, right directly in front of me in my NDE, that I had, to be honest, like I, I wish... I go back to those moments in memory all the time when I'm there, but there's a homesickness that I have, like many near-death experiences have, and there's a part of me that just wants to go back there, not so much for what was there, but just the feeling. You could get high as anything, and I've tried marijuana before and stuff like that, but geez, nothing compares to how high you can get while you're over there. But I found throughout my life, through doing a lot of inner work and connection through meditation exercise, taking pristine care of my health as much as I can, I I could feel droplets of that at times and in part to get into. But in my early 20s, I had a out-of-body experience that lasted, lasted several weeks, again, the month of September. And that felt quite possibly better than my near-death experience in many ways. And is very affirmative in my adult years that this wasn't just something that happened as a kid and I could push it away because I'm my own biggest skeptic. But, you know, what I was tapping into was real. And I think this is all inside of us. It's just really connecting to that pure source energetically and removing a lot of the barriers that we could have on the emotional level, the psychological level and physical level to this. But when you burn away all those things, that's that pure connection that we all have. We're all divine sparks. I connect to my guides on a regular basis. They've helped me write both of my books behind me, Life After Breath and The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. But on moments where my life is like difficult, I feel them very strongly and they send powerful messages to me. And they're there with me and I feel them throughout time. I just remembered one instance, particularly when there was a principal who was talking over a megaphone and he 
said, whoever's talking, this is in front of the entire school, middle school and high school. We were out on a field. He said, whoever's talking, I'm going to call them out and they're going to leave. And I was not talking, but he, I guess I had a baseball mitt by my mouth and he screamed my name at the top of his lungs over a megaphone. And I had to walk in front of the whole school and I was very overweight at the time. It was embarrassing and everyone was looking at me. In that moment, I felt both of my guardian angels with me and they were there very strongly just telling me like, this is just a blip in time. It's going to pass. Like everything passes, even the most painful traumatic moments of your life. Just trust us and it will be okay. In that moment, the principal met with me. He was expecting me to probably curse him out or stuff like that. And I was just like smiling, like all good, dude. And people are coming to me. But again, it just reminds you that pain is so temporary. It comes and goes and just trust in what outlasts pain, which is love, which is our eternity. And that allowed me to transcend that moment and many other moments of my life where I just remembered what was real, what lasts, and what is just a temporary experience of this life, which is a temporary experience itself. So I have one final question for you. You mentioned the out-of-body experience. So I don't know if I heard you correctly then. Did you say for two to three weeks? Yeah, you could... They, I am in the works of talking to producers about my NDE and including the OB, but I literally woke up one day and I was looking down on my body. It was the craziest thing. And that lasted for three weeks. But I think really what started it, I work in the mental health field. I could tell what a manic experience is, if a bipolar experience or, or a psychotic experience is, but this was a psychic experience. It wasn't a psychotic experience, but essentially... I just remembered myself just laughing hysterically at how seriously we take all these things in reality in this life. And I just looked at the illusion and just the facade of the things that we think that are real, that are just a farce. They're not real, but we identify them. We take everything so seriously. And I was just laughing hysterically to where every part of my body was like a wet towel and just wrung out all the pain, all the stress, all the sadness that I ever held on to in this lifetime. And I woke up the next day completely out of my body. And I just was like flabbergasted. I was like, my body's here and I'm over there. And I just could feel myself like using my vocal cords, talking through my own gut. Like I was over here, but my body was here. And that lasted for several weeks. And I just remembered myself sitting in a temple at the time of September, the Jewish high holiday and just felt myself flying outside my body and I could feel wings of my animal totem with me. And it was so profound. And I saw myself looking over all the congregants, but I saw this one strand of energy that connected every single participant. But I also saw how people were just in their own minds, in their own boxes, and they weren't connected to their energy and the energy of others. And I've read before, we are one, all this kind of stuff, and it sounds great, but when you see it directly in front of you, the one strand of energy that connects all of humanity, and you see it in front of you, it's undeniable that, yes, we are all from the same source, connected to the same source, despite our forgetfulness. We could think we are what we are, but that does not change the ultimate reality of oneness that we're connected to. And yeah, no, that experience stays with me to this day. And it was just a complete energetic ex explosion where I felt just those same feelings that I had in my NDE 20 years later about. And without having anything traumatic or 
But that to me blows me away more. You can't say, oh, you're hallucinating. I wasn't on any drugs, nothing. It was just, I was perfectly clean. I was a fit, I'm a fit athlete to this day. And just by letting go, much like I had in my NDE and looking past the illusion of suffering, much like I had in my NDE, I had that in my OB, by looking at it directly, the illusion of this experience rising above it was when I was able to transcend this reality, remember that I was a spiritual being having this human experience. So it sounds almost like you, you were biolocated because my first impression was you laid on a couch and you were there for two weeks. How is that possible? But it's like you had your you had your awareness of your being in your body, but also right. you had this other awareness. Is that, does that describe that accurately? In a way, but yes, I was felt my soul like outside of my body mm. or several weeks where I was just looking down on myself and I didn't have an NDE. This was an OBE. So under the umbrellas of NDEs are SDs, SD spiritual transformative experiences, out-of-body experience phenomena, which I had, but you could have an OBE without an NDE. And I had that for a prolonged period of time. Mm -hmm. At times I felt more grounded. At times when I was really able to connect, I felt myself just totally elevated, looking down on my body throughout the day. So I somehow managed to have a, a 4.0 in college that year. I don't know how that's possible, but just it all worked out. Amazing. But people look at me, they're like, you're laughing hysterically. And I lost 10 to 15 pounds during that time. It's just, I didn't have an attachment to this reality. Like nothing of this reality brought me something that I didn't already have. And we use these things to get to a certain destination, but the destination was already there. I didn't need the routes. It was already there. <laughs> All right. How about you tell us what you've got going on then, Jacob? So tell us about your books and the other work that you do and how people can get in touch with you if they want to. Oh, sure. I have my own platform right now, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. It's available on YouTube and many other platforms. So I have that going on. And I mentioned my two books, Life After Breath and The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, both available through Amazon. I have a website, jacobelcooper.com, and I speak internationally to different groups. I talk from a mental health perspective as also a spiritual perspective as well too. So I work with mental health groups. I provide continuing educational training as well for therapists. So I have that coming up in late October. So all events and stuff like that are on my website at jacoblcooper.com as well as social media links where you can find my daily insights and reflections there too. Okay, terrific. And have you got any last positive message that you want to leave people with before we wrap it up? Yeah, I hope people took something out of it. It's important to be a skeptic and not a cynic. And I know my near-death experience poses a lot of curiosity and hopefully will allow people to look at life a little differently, just the many facets of it. It's unique. I'll give it that. But what I really want for people to remember is first of all, we don't die. We go on beyond this body. What's important is to live while we live. Many people are just focused on the end game and the afterlife. And certainly the viewpoints of the afterlife can inform this life in many ways, but it's this life that will influence our afterlife. And so we carry many things that we do here, our passions, our interests, our hobbies, our, our gifts that we experience is all a part of our afterlife. So don't look at the afterlife as, as just after this life is connected to the life that we'll live when we go on beyond this body. And the important thing is to remember the things that we could take with us. We can't take the house, the job, the cars, but we take with us the love that we give, the impact that we have in the service to humanity. 
that we offer. So just, I think, people to remember the macro focus of this life and to not get so micro-focused on things that come and go, to not attach to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great message. Live while we live. I like that. Thanks so much, Jacob. Death is a given, but life is a choice while we're here. Yeah. Look, I appreciate you coming on the show today, and thank you for being my guest. Adar, thank you, Rod. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. 